Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, here's a tale from a bank of all places about taking risk and holding a line when the heat comes on. Remember that big call by NAB to change its entire market branding to jab in the thick of COVID lockdowns to encourage vaccinations. We're about to go behind the scenes on what really happened and how in the days after launch, the bank had to resist capitulation as vocal social media protesters moved in against it, but ultimately were countered by the people coming in to back NAB's bold jab move. And in the end, what was supposed to be good for the economy ended up being good for NAB's business. It added thousands of customers and along with its media agency Mindshare landed the MFA's gong as the 2022 winner for brand impact. It's an instructive account really of that thing we all talk about called courage and of course influence. So on the mics today to talk through the strategy and the results is NAB's head of group brand Faisal Ben Abdelaziz, Mindshare's strategy director Tanvi Singh and business lead Mark Sinsis. Welcome to you all. I think this is a cracking conversation based on our, uh, our earlier one last week. Faisal, to you first, maybe set the scene here for what led the bank to make this sort of rebranding leap from NAB to JAB. It wasn't without risk, as I sort of said at the top. And welcome, Faisal. Thank you. Thanks for having us as well, Paul. Well, I think for me, the key thing to, for us to remember, uh, you know, small business, uh, it is the engine room of the Australian economy. You know, but from early 2020 onwards, uh, we had the frequent COVID lockdowns that ripped through the Australian economy. Uh, which put financial pressure on uh, both families and businesses. So uh, it really quickly pulled the country to a halt. We'd seen business conditions plummeting to a three-year low, business confidence hitting to a 10-year low, and we were seeing one in three businesses reporting more than 50% uh, loss in revenues. So mm. as Australia's biggest business bank, of course, and that was directly impacted as well. And the only way for small businesses uh, to start operating properly once again was through the economy opening up. And the economy could only open up if we reached the Australian uh, government's ambitious 80% double vaccination rate, which was set in July of 2021. You know, vaccination soon, of course, became a polarizing topic in society. Yes. And, uh, you know, we saw the double vaccination rate plateau at, uh, I think it was around 64% by October. So as NAB, you know, we decided to back the nation's collective vaccination goal and get Australian businesses on the road to recovery. At that time, most brands were staying away from this controversial topic uh, and uh, the increasingly vocal and uh, hostile anti-vaxxer community as well. Uh, so we decided to change that. You know, we knew if we threw our weight behind an unashamedly uh, pro-vax push, uh, would ultimately pay dividends for society and that as a business. And, and importantly, I think here, Fossil, you talked about this earlier, that there was the anti-vaxxers and then there was a the vaccine hesitant. So it wasn't just one big, and this is where we kind of even culturally or socially, didn't we? We got sort of lumped everyone into anti-vax, even though they were hesitant, they weren't anti it. They were just going, oh, should I, shouldn't I, what's the downside upside? So we kind of got quite pure about that. But again, here, it was trying to find even in those that weren't vaccinated, they weren't all anti. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. I mean, as we'd seen, you know, the initial uptake of the vaccine uh, was really quite strong as well. And I think what you found was there a lot of people were holding out, not just Act vaxxers, which was a, a really a minority, uh, but those who had questions or weren't as confident, 
So I think, you know, having that combined with a growing number of protests across the nation, pressure was mounting and uh, unease was building in the community, if you will. Uh, so people at the end of that adoption curve needed a, a nudge. So Faisal, I get the rationale um, that NAB, both in terms of its contribution to society, its positioning and being the biggest, um, you know, business bank in the country, I get the rationale to want to get the economy open and to get people to get their double vaccinations so that that could happen. But that's fine. Then you took this big leap, this very big, you know, uh, move to not just encourage vaccinations, but to absolutely put it on the radar. How did you get there? What was the, were you up? Did you know you were up for a big roll of the dice before you started or did it come in after the agency briefing, which we'll get to a bit later? I'd probably say once the idea started coming back, uh, you know, there was a moment there to go, okay, uh, this is going to be big. Uh, However, you know, also just going back slightly, I mean, for, for that year and a half or so preceding this brief, if you will, we'd been living this, you know, when we're talking about the lockdowns, et cetera, you know, we employ uh, over 34,000 people ourselves. So we were living this on a daily as well. So in terms of it being a, a roll of the dice, if you will, uh, something needed to happen, not just, you know, we are part of the economy in general as well, you know, with 34,000 people who work uh, at NAP, my colleagues. So yes, it was a roll of the dice, but at the same time, I don't think we knew exactly what we had on our hands until we had seen the ideas, uh, in particular right. the nap jab idea. Yes, and let's talk through that. So I know that you talked, you you had buy-in from your CEO all the way down. Everyone was backing this this plan to promote vaccines. Uh, so what happened once once you decided to move? What was the brief to your agencies? Who and what? How did what happened from there? Yes, uh, well, we knew of course what the Australian government's goal was in terms of. Uh, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. If we reach 80% uh, by December, the economy opens up again. So really, the, I think the challenge that we had was best summarized by our CEO uh, to us. How can we encourage Australians to get vaccinated so that the economy can open up again? That was the problem statement, if you will. Uh, yes. And and the objective, you know, the, the first objective was societal, you know, encourage Australians to reach 80% double vaccine by December 2021. And uh, then we obviously tied uh, to brand objectives to that as well, improving our reputation score, as well as uh, driver lifting consideration uh, among people exposed to the campaign for customers and our customers alike. Right. And so you then called on the village, as you call it, the agency village. What happened? You brought them in and said, was it open? Did they get a sense that there was, we're up for anything on this or was it kind of that emerged? Yes. Uh, well, I would hope so. I think uh, our agencies are quite used to now zigging when others zag, if you will, uh, we're right. always up for a challenge. So yes, we did put that question to them as part of that brief, how can we encourage Australians to get vaccinated to open up the economy again? Uh, and at the same time, you know, this was an opportunity really to help restart uh, Australia's engine of growth, which was perfectly aligned with our long-term brand strategy of more than money is, you know, which is deeply rooted in the belief that NAB has a larger role to play within society. You know, if you look to our purpose alone to serve customers well and help our communities prosper. So this was really right in there. This was really at the heart of what we stood for. And uh, I do think that our agency village really knew up that we would be up for a challenge, if you will. And that agency village consisted of who? Yes, our agency village consistent uh, of our agency of record, uh, TB, uh, creative agency of record, TBWA, our agency, Six Black Pens, and uh, Mindshare is our uh, media agency as well. Okay. And so out went the brief and then in come the responses. And just tell us, there's a moment there where there was um, sort of a, not a momentary lapse of reason, a momentary, moments of silence, perhaps. 
I would say definitely so. You know, there there were a plethora of ideas that were put forward. And some of them, I think, were quite expected, as we had seen other brands come into market around the same time. A lot of them were uh, offer-related, if you will, in terms of how do we incentivize uh, people. Right. And we knew that, again, when we say Zig, we're not a Zag, that that wasn't really what we, where we wanted to go. We wanted to have a deeper meaning, if you will. And uh, Jab, when that was put on the table, it really stood out in that sense. It, it felt authentic to our brand, uh, something that would be meaningful slash genuine for us. But we also... Yes, really the big but. The, the big but was... Um, <laughs> yes, give us that bit. I think the big but is, uh, you know, how do you move beyond it uh, potentially being perceived as a stunt and a takeaway from the cause you know, the light being shone on the brand of it in itself versus the cause and what we were trying to achieve. The bigger one, of course, the biggest but, uh, will we risk alienating customers? You know, the customer attrition, the, the, of course, we, you know, we are a business at the end. What will they, will we actually see a, a big backlash, uh, if you will? And also when you look at NabJab in itself, when it was first presented, you know, how do you keep the tone positive? You know, our brand is always uh, is known for being positive and hopeful. Uh, so how do you take this to market without ending up in negative territory, if you will? Mm. And they're all really, really reasonable questions to ask and to sort of work through, right? That's not even risk averse. That's just being pragmatic. <laughs> and so what happened? So was there initial with the jab when the jab was put up? Was there great discussion and what arguments were put against it? And in the end, clearly it, it won out. It got through. What massaged everyone's concerns? I think uh, when we started fleshing out the jab idea in itself, it, it was really uh, brings up behavioral science to it in, in, in terms of uh, you know the, the the social proof element in terms of how it could come to life and the tone of it. It was actually uh, right for our brand, if you will. We'd also done some work in terms of. Um, Really digging into the audiences, as you mentioned earlier, you know, everyone's being perceived as anti-vaxxers. Well, we knew that was really a, a, a minority of people, you know, below 5% who sat in that space. And so it was very much working through who is our audience and our audience were, you know, defense sitters, if you will. And so as we started unpacking the concerns, it actually became quite obvious to us that we could do this as safely as possible, if, if mm. you will, and, and uh, push through the concerns of attrition or, or customer or consumer backlash, if you will, and uh, the tonality aspect. And, and how do you make this a, a big idea, you know, as I said, move, move beyond it just being seen as a stunt and a name change. Yes. This truly needed, needed to be us handing over the power of our brand to the people. And in the end, your CEO signed off on it too. He, he backed it. So, you I mean, you've had cover. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yes. Mark, you, you know, you, I think you said you remember the day the button was pushed, but you remember that like when the discussion around uh, jab came through and then when the, when the button hit green for go, I think you said it was all go, wasn't it? Just talk us through the agency side of this. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I've been in many a brief and often, you know, you go away and you work on your response and you represent back. But I remember after the initial brief, which was Friday, the 3rd of September, 2021, uh, for all you playing at home. At 10.32 a.m. with 32 seconds. <laughs> Actually, 3 p.m. Um, <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> but we all left thinking, wow, we're actually about to do something really special. You could feel it in the room, in the, in the, in the virtual briefing room. So essentially, we got the brief 
on that Friday, the 3rd, and we set ourselves a very um, audacious goal of being in market on Friday the 10th. And that was a very deliberate date because it was during the AFL final. So NAB, as a key sponsor of the AFL, we wanted to leverage that huge, high-reaching asset that we have at our disposal to really launch the jab proposition to market in a big, impactful way. So essentially, we went from a seven-day period to creating and dispatching all the assets and getting integration uh, within the um, the AFL on that Friday night. And that was particularly important to us because not only of the high-reaching nature of it, but also the environment that we're operating within. If we cast our minds back to, you know, September 2021, I know it was you know, just over a year ago, but I think we, you know, have some collective PTSD from, from that. So it's really important Indeed. to to recollect the actual environment we're working within. So Melbourne and Sydney, two of our biggest cities in Australia, were in lockdown, um, and the only path forward was the 8% vaccination rate. We also had, uh, when we launched in the prelim final for the AFL, it was uh, Melbourne and Geelong. Uh, that was played at, in Perth at Opera Stadium. So traditionally, two really big Melbourne clubs with a huge following should be played at the MCG with 100,000 crowd in attendance. Um, instead, it was played at Optus Stadium, and everyone in Melbourne in particular felt that. They felt that, you know, that there's something wrong. He should be played in our hometown. Um, so that's why we launched purposely and and directly within within that match. So we had the our TVSCs, which had the jab end frame. Uh, we had the LED signage throughout the game. And we also had in-program integration, which I think really helped sell the message. And throughout the first weekend, we reached over 3 million people alone without without jab launch so i think it was really important to not only leverage the afl and the huge asset that we have at our disposal but also do it in a way that was genuine and authentic to the audience that we we're talking to and i'm going to get to what happened um immediately after that um but i just wanted to get a sense from tanvi really on on what the broader media and channel options you considered um as part of this whole effort uh tanvi it was obviously beyond the afl but it was that that was the benchmark headline event if you like the launch event what was the strategic and planning rationale for the channel mix you ended up doing and what did it look like? Thanks for the question, Paul. Uh, so we basically had three clear objectives. So one was to spark a conversation and announce NAP's stance in a very provocative way. Second, to activate at scale. We knew that we had our brand cloud present in every media channel that we were present at that time. We wanted to change key media touch points into public service announcement points. And the third one was to really spotlight the sterile conversation around vaccination rates. It was a water cooler conversation now. It was quite boring and stressful, I would say, whenever we looked at vaccination rates. So we wanted to do something which is true to the brand and bring some positivity around that conversation. So given those three big, big objectives that we had in mind, so obviously, a big reach play uh, was important for us in ch- uh, selecting the media that we wanted to go after. So screen strategy, as Mark mentioned, that e- launch in the AFL was super important. But on the other hand, we knew that radio and audio is a powerful medium to uh, have the conversation and engagement going with our audiences. And so is outdoors. And as I said, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, emphasis on getting the engagement going around that uh, uptake of vaccination rate, which was getting updated every day. So we 
wanted to have channels which have a dynamic API integration into it so that we can have those updated vaccination rate nicely tied up to our creative assets and just let the Australians know that with every jab, we are getting one step closer to meeting your loved ones, um, getting married or just walking into the coffee shop that you've loved every morning. So it was important to have a dynamic audio. As we said, we did a great integration with Spotify, which was in a way uh, first of its kind in the banking category and also running dynamic audio across metro and regional audio. And same goes for our big format uh, outdoor where we saw that we were dynamically updating the vaccination rates. Okay, so those three channels were, did most of the heavy lifting for the, for the awareness and the engagement then. That was the core strategy there. Absolutely. And we must not forget social, which was a little tricky because we know that we were dealing with these keyboard warriors who will pounce on the uh, the opportunity to just, you know, just comment or have a crack yes <laughs> have a crack and we did look at some of them and we were constantly monitoring it so it it, it does uh, put a little bit of a pressure but we've done the numbers behind it we knew that it's a very vocal minority so uh, some mitigation around that we, we knew that we were in a safe uh, you know uh, direction to move forward with great well that sets the scene so Faisal now let's go to day one launch AFL bang what happened on launch day? You were expecting some turbulence, and it sounds like you certainly got some initially. Yes, we, we absolutely got some initially, and in the sense it was obviously t- to be expected. Uh, I think the great thing for, for us and, and our teams, having uh, been in, the, in this industry for so long, uh, you know to expect it with any type of work that goes into market uh, that is uh, that goes against the norm if you will so th- there, w- there was an expectation that we would get some turbulence and yes we did get it we got we got it in particular through the keyboard warriors that uh, somebody just uh, mentioned as well and in particular channels uh, mainly uh, such as facebook for for example right that was the most aggressive outpouring of protests was it on that particular one Absolutely. Yes. Mm. Yes. Uh, and again, I think if you, when you are in this bubble and when you live in this bubble, it is, it is very hard to contextualize what you see. Let's say you get 300 negative comments on, on day one on eight posts. That then becomes your reality versus setting it into context, into the context that it actually is. Uh, we're in market. We're reaching how many millions of people and this small minority here is being vocal. Uh, let's try and put that into context. Um, mm. what, what we had gone into this uh, with already from prior work that we had done was almost set the scene for, for our internal teams as well. It was like This is what we would expect to see, i.e. from uh, day one to three, uh, you might see a spike in negative commentary or, or news uh, on these types of channels. Yeah, bloody journos. Uh, yes. <laughs> 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 uh, but usually by day three, day four, that tide turns. Uh, and you do know when that turns, and that is when when the people raise their voices and, and they come to your defence. Yes, see and we'll get to that. Um, you did have a pact, though. You did, in your pre-briefing the launch, you said you kind of said to your team, we're going to hold the line, we're going to hold the line, no wavering, right? That was a really important build-up to this. Is it there's going to be some stuff come? Hold. Absolutely. And it, it became the mantra. <laughs> 
you know, hold the line. It is so important. Uh, this work has been so well thought through as every campaign or work as it goes to market. But we knew what the data was showing us. We knew the insights. We knew we had the research in our hands. We kind of had a feel in terms of what the reaction would be. But I think the most important bit in all of this is have the courage to hold the line and uh, see it through, if you will. Don't react at the first sign uh, of a wobble, if you will. Mm-hmm. And when it was happening, so by as you sort of hinted, day three, day four, the, the tone, the sentiment started to shift in that days uh, one to four was a wobbles. I would say there were some wobbles, but more so in the sense of questions being asked. Uh, yes. Right. Are we doing the right thing? Should we be pulling back here or should we wait? Because obviously the campaign was in two stages as well. Have we done enough? Uh, the answer was always no, we hold the line. We put milestones in place purposely so that uh, we had various pause points to just stop, reflect. Uh, do we need to change tact or strategy? But uh, I'm proud to say that uh, by the time this, this work was completed, if you will, uh, the strategy had remained the same and we held the line all the way through. And so by day four, day five, Faisal, what did you start to see? You started to see the broader population come in behind you and backnab on this program. It wasn't you fighting the fight on your own, was it? Yeah, absolutely. Number one, obviously, the, in, in, from a media point of view, journalists and publications alone, I think they got it. <laughs> By day three or four, they understood what we were trying to do. This wasn't some stunt. This was about normalizing something. And and by, I would say after the first week or so, we'd seen other brands come into market uh, in their own ways, but in that beautiful, supportive and, and hopeful tone as well. I'd say our, uh, ourselves and one or two other brands that led the way and uh, what happened was exactly what we wanted, uh, was others to raise their voices and, and join in. So whilst we're, so we're in that first week and, and beyond, Tambi and Mark, what were your numbers showing in terms of audience impact, sentiment, what and how were you measuring this and what were you seeing from the agency, the media agency perspective? So from our end, in terms of the kind of media metrics, like I mentioned earlier, we did reach 3 million people um, during the first weekend. So we had some really good momentum at our tail, which was, which was really, really good. We needed that to really not only uh, launch the proposition, but kind of get the awareness out there as well. It was, to Fasha's point, we did have a really strong paid, owned and earned strategy where we not only had the paid activity, which um, you know, did, did the heavy lifting in terms of reach and awareness, but we also had some really good earned media through vehicles like the project and other news sources, which helped uh, not only raise awareness, but also um, you know keep keep the conversation going as well. By the end of the campaign, we effectively reached uh, about 15 million people. Um, and then we had that cross-check with all the partners who are a research agency. Um, and the meaningful exposure in terms of campaign recognition was 6.4 million people. So don't forget, as Connor Faisal mentioned earlier, we were talking to, we wanted to reach the vaccine hesitant, which by some reports were about 13% of the population. So we really needed a broad-reaching High, highly targeted um, strategy as well that had dynamic elements to it to not only draw up up on the engagement but also have the friends of the vaccine hesitant have conversations with them to get vaccinated and the proof was in the point. I mean, we opened up I think about two or three weeks earlier than than initially planned by the government. So I believe our um, efforts went some ways in in helping to achieve that. Well, it's interesting this, you know, you're talking, so how do you even target the vaccine hesitant? Because who are they? I mean, I, I mean, I was one, for instance. I mean, I, I wasn't anti. I was going, 
gee, this technology is new. We haven't had, you know, it's 12 months old, you know, trade off. In the end, I did it because my wife just kicked my butt and said, you're doing it. I said, yes, boss, okay. And so um, I did it. But I was asking questions just around, wow, what is this? What's the play out here? So how did you find, you know, like, I mean, I'm probably, I don't know whether I'm typical or not. What am I? How, How do I fit into it? Who are they? Who were they? How did you find them? Yeah, look, not going to lie, it was incredibly difficult. And there's no, you know, predefined Royal Morgan, Royal Morgan segment about the COVID vaccine hesitant thing. So it was incredibly hard. And you didn't want to pipe up either. Some of us didn't want to say it because it was a bit of a, you know, a stigma attached to actually, you know, that whole notion. No, that's right. But that's why we went back to, you know, marketing science 101 in terms of reaching, you know, all category buyers, for lack of a better term. Mm which is why we went with a deliberate high-reaching strategy um, with dynamic elements because to Tanya's point, by having that creative overlay about, you know, we're 23% closer to opening up, 50% closer to saying I do, 75% closer to playing lawn bowls, it gave that emotive element for people to really want to get the vaccine so we can open up. So it was a mixture of having media and creative overlaid with, you know, human truth of people wanting to reconnect together, that really drove the strategy. And I think to add to that as well, Paul, you know, there were so many studies being run at the same time or data being uh, pulled in terms of you could uh, see where the largest uptake was, for example, from a vaccination. Right. Obviously, that data was being published on uh, on a daily. Uh, and so from a demographics point of view, for those who who'd been vaccinated, obviously, we, we knew where the larger vaccination were taking place, if you will. We knew where there was some lag in either age demographics or even, you know, in, in, in geography, even you wait to geography. Exactly. Did you? Yeah. 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 So, so, so we had some of that data, of course. Uh, and then we would look at other published data that was uh, readily available uh, that did suggest that, you know, 92 to 95% of the population was positively predisposed, if you will, but there was some hesitancy rather than uh, a, a real small minority of anti-vaxxers. So, you know, we, you just had to work with the data points that you had at hand, but I do have to say there was data readily available around uh, uh, certain demographics and, and, and geographic locations as well, where we knew we could Got be more targeted. Tanvi, to your point earlier about the dynamic uh, feed, dynamic messaging going on both in out of home and in audio, did you get a sense that, uh, was there any measurement of or tracking on how that was landing? Was actually, was it probably an important part of educating and putting a, an incentive in front of people? Was that landing? How did you judge that? So with the dynamic outdoor and uh, audio, you would know that you're reaching the population that you really wanted to. And you're saying the engagement is kind of getting back. But in real time, if we were to measure how the campaign was really working out, I think social was a great proof of that. As much as it was making, you know, we, we could see some of the negative comments and kind of, you know, make you a little bit nervous. But on the other hand, engagement rates were really, really good. And there was a lot of organic engagement coming in. So obviously the keyboard warriors attributed positive, like the negative comments actually helped us get the comments, uh, the, the post to go almost viral, so to say. And uh, uh, those conversations really helped to pull in the hesit- vaccine hesitance as well. So we saw that our engagement rates exceeded our benchmarks all across the platforms. Instagram reported a very high engagement rate of 27% on our main jab post. And even on uh, platforms like LinkedIn, our um, logo change uh, 
post actually got 2000k 200k organic impressions and same goes for instagram a lot of non follower reach was 64% so we were seeing all these real time data which was showing that there's a high engagement and that's exactly what we had kind of um, planned for and it was coming through and another thing as mark mentioned holland partner uh, do our you know uh, constant tracking on the brand so that is something we were able to track back and see how well the campaign uh, worked in terms of moving the brand health uh, key metrics so goal was to keep our reputation scores high and it delivered to that to see an uplift in consideration not just for our own customers but also for our non customers because this was a very high reaching campaign so we saw that some of our uplifts in consideration was the best in a very very long time uh, both for customers and non customers so a great testament to you well, that's where I was going. To, literally, was going to go there to because this is the rubber hits the road, doesn't it, Faisal? When when the results hit. So some of the, we just had a little bit of a tease there on some of the things that were happening as a result. Clearly, you were happy with what happened, and you had some new customers. So just from Nab's perspective as as well, what happened and when did you start to go? Okay, this is trending the way we want it to. Yes, I mean the biggest one for us, of course, is uh, as I said, what we set out from the beginning: encourage Australians to reach eighty uh, percent by December twenty twenty one. That date was hit, thankfully. Obviously, Australia reached eighty uh, percent on November fifth, so that was well ahead of the schedule uh, when lockdowns were lifted and we went back to a, a new normal, if you will. Uh, obviously, we know it wasn't our ad that uh, or our work that got Australia across the line, but we know it helped. Um, so for us, that was the big one because that was what we. Said out to do uh, but then as I said for, for in terms of our tracking you know we, we improved NAP's reputation by uh, two percentage points uh, by November 2021 uh, so not only did we significantly lift NAP's uh, rep- reputation score it actually reached its highest uh, since March 2020 2018 I think by the time so the highest that we had seen right. in three years and it's hard to move those numbers by the way absolutely yeah yeah so it was uh, that was an amazing result in itself and what uh, uh just um, mentioned as well uh, the lift in consideration among people exposed to the campaign you know the targets we had set uh, was uh, eight percentage points for customers that we wanted to reach and uh, six percentage points for non-customers and the campaign tracked well above uh, our averages it actually delivered significant lifts uh, in consideration uh, for both customers and non-customers 10 15 percent 30 percent where would where would be yeah, seeing yeah we saw a 12 percent lift in consideration for customers and a nine percent right. lift in consideration for non-customers right okay and from our ad tracking, what we were also to see was uh, that 23% had recognized the campaign. So if you combine that, obviously, with the, uh, with the Australian adult population and extrapolate, yes, we had meaningful exposure of uh, 6.4 uh, million, but the average lift in consideration among those was 11 percentage points. Uh, mm. So you basically influenced 682,000 people if you extrapolate that. Right. There's some of those great numbers. Um, and also, you got some new customers uh, along the way too, Faisal. So that actually had just converted some. You, you were attributing it to that primarily, to the campaign? Uh, absolutely, because all the the work that was in market uh, in that period was specifically around that jab. We'd also obviously turned over our existing work to jab as well. And I, I think the biggest one for us, as I said, we we didn't want to see attrition, uh, you know, in particular because mm. of the uh, 
the vocal keyboard warriors that we had seen, it was all about we're taking our business elsewhere, we're closing our accounts. And now when we look back to that period, there was no meaningful lift uh, in attrition at all. And there was actually a meaningful uplift in customers' gains uh, during that period of time. What was that number? What's the range? Can you talk about what, how many customers you got? Uh, in the thousands. In the thousands. Okay, right. Uh, good result. I've got to get a key ta- some key takeouts and learnings from each of you on, on what you took out from the jab strategy. But before I do that, Faisal, very keen just um, in the moment and what we're seeing now, you're head of brand and the economic conditions that are, that are coming at us would typically suggest that you know many companies will move to shorter term tactical stuff and move away from brand investment because it's getting some business now. What's your take on that? What is And where do you think NAB? Will NAB hold its investment brand? Will the weighting change? How does the conversation go when times get tough and, you know, it's harder to possibly demonstrate short-term impact from brand? Yeah, you hold the line. It's always about a two-speed plan. Uh, so for us, it is the long and the short. Uh, it's the end. Uh, you don't trade one off for the other. It's about the sales today and the sales tomorrow. So uh, you, you know your investment in the long today will serve you down the line, and in the long run, you know should also be making your short-term marketing work actually work harder and more uh, effective. You know, it's generating the demand and harvesting the demand. Uh, so even though we know short-term is a mix of rife, in particular in, in, in challenging times, you know, I think people in my position and others, we must combat that by taking every opportunity to, you know, we ensure to, uh, that we discuss the relevant case studies and data that's at our hands to combat that behavior, uh, because short-term doesn't serve your brand in the long run. You know, at NAB in particular, you know, if we look at all our marketers, uh, you know, all of them go through the mini MBA with Mark Ritson, you know, we all believe it's in the long run ensure the benign field work. We also follow the learnings from Jenny Romanyuk and, and Byron Sharp and others. But I think as good marketers or as great marketers, uh, this is your time to shine and make sure that your organization understands that there's always about a two-speed plan. Right. And the weighting, so you think the weighting will be similar or do you think it'll reweight? You know, what are the expectations on that? Brand short and long brand and brand and performance. I think for ourselves and for others, it should remain the same or actually in these uncertain times, actually swing more towards brand, uh, to be frank, you know, and play that ESOV strategy. How does that conversation go with your exec leadership team, finance particularly and, and, and operations? Is there still a great level of discourse and debate goes on there, Faisal, in terms of convincing them around this or...? The debate will always be there, to be honest. That's not going to change. I think it is... You know, this is the proof in the pudding and, and do you have the runs on the board? And luckily enough for organizations like ours and others, you, this isn't new. We've been through this before. Mm. Uh, mm. And so just making sure that uh, the business understands what's right uh, for the business. And then I think we've proven time and again that uh, it, it is the end uh, that gives us the best results. Mm. Great. Um, so listen, I'm going to ask for each of you to just give you a sort of final learning on the uh, JAB program. Mark, might start with you first. Key learning, takeout from this? Yeah, look, my big takeout is the power of an idea, a very simple idea, and the fact that you can coalesce an entire, not only company and um, organization in that, but their agency village as well. And the fact that everyone was single-minded about what they need to do, not only did we get the campaign out in marketing in record time, we saw some fantastic results. And that could only happen when you have buying and commitment from the very top to the very bottom. And as Faisal mentioned, holding the line and, and not deviating from the strategy. Good call. Tanvi, your, your sort of key takeout. 
Uh, my key takeout would be that we know that brand has time and again proven and we've got research backing this. It's one of the biggest assets for the business and a big lever to drive business results. But on the other side, brand is also what make of, make, people make of it. And brand clout really can move societies. And with NAB, I think the most beautiful thing is that the brand is quite deeply rooted into playing a bigger role into the society. And I believe all the agency partners, our fabulous clients got behind that. And we thought that this is the perfect movement, uh, moment to really show what brand impact really means, both for the business and really getting the Australian economy started again and uh, giving people that positive hope to look forward to. And as I said, vaccination rates go up. People become more hopeful about meeting their friends, getting back into the things that they really like. So for me, brand impact is both business and what you do for the society as a whole. Great points. And Faisal, your your final takeouts. When do we see the next jab, jab 2.0? What is it going to look like? I hope we deliver that with a wild world, which is also a brand campaign that's in market as well uh, at the moment. That was again right. another opportunity where we zigged when others zagged. And I think for me, you know, the, the key takeout has been is, you know, for uh, upcoming work, you know, don't let a vocal minority get in the way of important work. If, if it's the right thing to do, you need to be doing it and, uh, you know, stand up for what you believe in. This is actually important and, and declaring that support in public places is important. It might be viewed as tokenistic, but at the end of the day, it only takes a single person or a brand to start a groundswell. Good stuff. Well, there's a lot in there. Faisal Ben Abdelaziz. Tanvi Singh, Mark Sinzis, thanks for a great conversation and congratulations on the gong, the win. We didn't even talk about that. You actually won the category, right? So, and for, for good reason. So there's a lot of um, sort of uh, instructive learnings there for the market to do. So well done and thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.